I want you to turn to Matthew 17, those last few verses of that chapter. All summer, we've been looking at the prayers of Jesus and the prayers of Paul. Not all of Paul's prayers, nor all of Jesus' prayers. But in light of that, um, how ought we to pray? And then in the last several weeks, we've uh, been slowing down and looking at John chapter 17. And today we're going to look at the part where Jesus prays for us. Literally, as he's going to the cross, he pauses to pray for us. Now, as the beginning of the service, I read from Revelation chapter 7. And in that picture, there's this incredible, beautiful picture of every ethnic group, every language group, all peoples gathered around the throne, and in unison, in unity, together, they're worshiping God. And I think when Jesus is praying for us in verses 20 to 26, <laughs> I could use help up here. In verses 20 through 26, I think Jesus is looking at that future reality And he's praying for those. So what I'd like you to notice is Jesus asks for two realities um, as he prays to his Father just before his death. And what are they? The first one he does is found in verse 21, that they may all be one. He prays for our unity. Now, as Fran read this, uh, did you notice that this unity is supernatural? Take a look at verse 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Or go down to verse 22. That they may be one, even as we are one. So just as, or even as... Jesus prays that the church in the future, the church after his disciples, that includes us, but not only us, that we would be one. But he defines that one like the Father and the Son are one. So quite frankly, that's supernatural. That's beyond us. That's How is the Father and the Son one? John chapter 1, verse 1, in the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's a, there's a distinction between the Father and the Son. The Word was with God, and yet there's a oneness. The Word was God. How is the Father and the Son similar? John chapter 14, if you've got your Bible, encourage you to turn a few pages back. John chapter 14, in verse 10, we read these words, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Jesus is speaking this to his disciple Philip. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Then he goes on, The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. So how are the Father and the Son one? Somehow the Father is in the Son, and, 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 and the Father does his works in the Son or through the Son. 
This is not meant for us to be able to completely articulate and understand. It is meant for us to ponder. As long as we are Christians. And to grow in our understanding and, and to, to try to grasp what is, I think, in, almost impossible to grasp. In John chapter 1, kind of the preamble is, is John is uh, just giving us an introduction to his gospel. In verses 2 and 3, we read these words. He, the Word, was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, the Word is none other than Jesus. Now, if we go back to, the, to Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God... Now we have a further understanding of what happened, and it seems that, that uh, John is telling us that his agent or his instrument in which he creates is Jesus. And so there's a oneness. There's the, the, and yet how do, we, how do we define it? John chapter 6. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 6, verses 37 to 40. John 6, 37 to 40, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And you get this picture of Jesus as completely submissive to whatever his father desires. He's completely obedient to whatever his father desires. They have the same purpose, the same redemptive purpose. They're, they're tracking together. And so when you think of this unity that God the Father and God the Son, they're one, there's a submission, there's an obedience, there's a... There's a fa there's the, God works through His Son. There's an agreement in purposes. And as you read the Scriptures and as you continually wrestle with the text, continually wrestle with that idea that God the Father and God the Son are one. But Jesus says, just as or even as we are one, Father, I pray that they will be one. So we've got some hints there. We, we ought to be one in, 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 in our obedience and our submission to our Father and His Son. We ought to be in obedience and submission to His redemptive purposes. God the Father sends the Son. God the Son does what His Father obeys. God then sends us to tell the world, to make disciples as Jeff just read from Matthew 28. And so this oneness, it captures some of those things at the very least. Notice that this oneness is not only supernatural, John 17, but in verse 20, this oneness flows from a common revelation or a common truth. Look, look at John chapter 17. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Let's read it again. 
I do not ask for these only. Who are they? The, the 11, the, tw- the 11 that he's been praying for, his, his 11 disciples. So I'm not just talking about them. I'm not just praying for them. But I also pray for those who will believe in me through their word. This unity flows out of what the apostles pass on to us. Go back to John chapter 14. Jesus, in promising the Holy Spirit, says this in verses um, 25 and 26. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit's going to bring to your remembrance everything that I've taught you so he can, they can declare it to us so that they can record it. Go, back, go on to uh, chapter 16 of John, 16 verse, uh, verses 13 and 14. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. It's in this context where we begin to see that it's not just God the Father and God the Son who are united, but God the Holy Spirit. But Jesus tells his disciples, the Spirit is going to come, He's not going to leave you as orphans. And one of his purposes is to remind you of what I said. Is to teach you and bring to your remembrance. And it will speak on my behalf. And what did the disciples do? Well, one of those disciples is John. And we're reading his words. We're remembering, he's, as he was reminded by the Holy Spirit what Jesus did and what Jesus said, he records them. And it's from the witnesses of the disciples that you and I can now believe in this Jesus. We didn't have the privilege to walk with Christ. We didn't see Jesus perform the miracles. But we have the incredible privilege to have those words recorded, that history recorded, and it's to be passed on to us through their word. Now, what has that got to do with unity? Our unity is based on what the apostles taught us. That's important. If somebody says, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, I, I'm a Christian, but, but I don't, I don't, they disagree with this, and I don't think this is true, and I, you know, like, I, don't, I don't get the virgin birth, and I don't think it's real. But the eyewitnesses have passed it on to us. We're, we're, we're united around what the eyewitnesses have passed on to us. That's what unites us. That's, what we, that's the Jesus we believe in is the one that's been passed on to us. Our unity is supernatural, and our unity flows from a common truth, a common revelation. Let's carry on. I think our unity grows in suffering. I say that because of verse 22. 
John chapter 17, verse 22, look at this. The glory that you have given me, Jesus is speaking to his Father, the glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. How in the world did I get suffering out of that? The glory that you have given me, look at verse 1 of John chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. That hour, if you remember, we talked about this, that hour was that moment in history when Jesus, for what Jesus came for, when Jesus would, would give his life willingly upon a cross, die on our behalf, and three days later be raised from the dead. That moment in history, that hour, not 60 minutes, but that, that point in time, that word glorify or glory i think it's rooted in the the hebrew old testament and the word in the old testament is it was a, a word that spoke of weight and so if you had a, a bag of wheat or if you had a bag of silver or even a silver coin you would weigh it to see how much it was worth the weight was important to determine the value when we're talking about the glory of Jesus or the glory of God, we're going, what is his value? What is his worth? Now, the New Testament word is more of an idea of splendor or brilliance or, or something sparkly. I'd say beautiful. And so when, when Jesus prays, Lord, the hour has come, glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, He's saying, Lord, this is the moment in history when I can show off your worth and your beauty. And how does he do that? You are righteous, God. And sin has to be dealt with. But, but in, the same, in the same breath, in the same moment, he says, Lord, he displays the love of God because he pays the price on our behalf. And three days later, he displays God's worth and his beauty by showing off his power by raising his son from the dead. The grave could not keep him. Now Jesus says in verse 22, I am, he says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. And I think what Jesus is saying here, I'm going to allow them to suffer on my behalf. Have you ever noticed in history when the church has suffered, when the church has been persecuted, there's something about us seeing the beauty of Christ that we don't see in other time periods. I loved hearing and reading the story of Corey Ten Boom, and, and that, that's, that's my, my, my history. Corey Ten Boom under Nazi Germany, her family, uh, they were hiding Jews, and, and, and they're, they're captured. I think it was Corey and her sister Betsy and her father. Betsy and her father dies in a concentration camp. Corey eventually was released at the end of the war and goes on to share her incredible story. But 
But the beauty of that story was how, th- how they loved their enemy even in that concentration camp. They saw the beauty of Christ through their suffering. They saw the beauty and the glory of God the Father through their suffering. I think what we see here in verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I've given to them that they may be one even as we are one. You see, this unity is not only supernatural, it not only flows from a common revelation, but it seems to grow when we suffer for Jesus. Did you notice this unity is observable? He says it twice. Verse 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He says, I I pray that, that they are one, just as we are one, and this is the reason why, so that the world may believe that you sent me. But just in case we didn't get it, he says it again. Verse 23. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. There's something when we are one, united, united under truth, the the apostolic truth, united in purpose, but, but this unity somehow needs to be observed. Now, I, I don't think what he's saying is all of Marta Luth is amazed that two churches are gathered together under one roof. They probably don't even know we're here together. I, I think what he's saying is John chapter 13. Verse 31, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified, uh, let's go a few verses down. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love, have love for one another. Now, notice that love is not a feeling. It's just as I have loved you. How did he love us? He laid down his life for us. The world can see that we're one when we're willing to lay down our lives for each other. When we're willing to drive across the city to help one another out. When we're willing to be, when we're praying for each other, when we're, when 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 we're grieved, when 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 one of us is grieving, when we rejoice, when one of us is rejoicing, the, the world notices when we actually say evil things about each other. They, they notice that. Our neighbors notice when we 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 care for each other. They notice that. And, and and what they notice is they notice that, that that God the Father sent God the Son because they suddenly realize their message is real. 
the message these Christians have been talking about, there's something to it. There's a substance to it. And they begin to recognize that the Father loves them. But that's how Jesus prays. He's not, did you hear this? He's not praying that we'd have organizational unity. Not that that's necessarily wrong. But he's praying that we're one. One in purpose. Last week when we, when we had time to do a time of prayer, Pank said, could you pray for my sister-in-law that she would know Christ? I was like, yeah, that's my prayer for my, the, my loved ones. There's a unity there. Pank and I have a unity. We're praying for those who don't know Christ. There's a unity when we love each other. When we, and that love is not just some feeling, but it's expressed in actions to the point where we're willing to lay down our lives for each other. Oh, when I think of church in the heart of the city of Calgary, I think of a church that proclaims the truth over and over and over again, unapologetically. It says, this is what God has said, because the world needs to hear that, and I need to hear this truth. But I pray that God would, that God would birth a church and, and cause a church to rise up in the heart of the city of Calgary that would love each other to such an extent that the city this nation would have to look up and go, those people love each other. The Father must have sent the Son. The Father must love them. And I can't do that. That's supernatural, and I pray that God would do that. Even here. Now, I know He will. Revelation chapter 7. But oh, I pray that we begin to taste it right here. Now, this unity, it's not only supernatural, it not only flows from a common truth, it not only grows when we're suffering, it not only is observable, but it's growing. And take comfort in this. Because too often we have these ideals and we like, oh, Lord, would you do this? And we get discouraged when we don't see it. Lynn has taught me to celebrate the little graces. And what does Jesus say? Verse 23, that they may become perfectly one. That means we, we are one, but we haven't arrived. And so Jesus prays that we would grow in this. So when I see acts of love among the body of Christ, I should sit up and take notice and say, thank you, Lord. And would that just grow? Would that just flourish? Would that, would that with increasing measure, define us? Now, I, I think as I read this and as I listen to Jesus' prayer, um, this ought to become our prayer. That we would grow in being one, that we would be one, that, that God would do this supernatural thing among us. Secondly, I wanted you to notice that Jesus prays for our presence in verses 24 to 26, and this is going to be very quick. But you notice what he says, Father, verse 24, I desire that they, 
also, whom you have given me. We talked about that last week. We won't dive into that, that idea of us, him choosing us. It's a beautiful topic, but listen to last week's sermon. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. Lynn and I, when we were engaged, for some reason she lived in Ohio, and I lived in Alberta. I hated that. I wanted to be with her. And, and I loved it every time that she would fly out or I'd fly over there. It was kind of cool. Or we'd drive to see each other because we were finally with each other. And then I hated airports because that's where we said goodbye to each other. And then when we got married, I was just like amazed that we were always with each other. And 29 and a half years later, I'm still glad that we are with each other. Because sometimes we are mad at each other and we don't want to be with each other. But when we get over that, we are glad we're with each other. I'm glad when my kids are around. Yesterday, uh, Jay, Jay's out, well, she just left, but Jay's out hiking with some of the, some of the group. And, and so Rebecca and Micah were at the house. So I had lunch with them, and then I left, and I came back, and they were here for supper, and we had supper together. And, and Josh is in town this weekend, and although we haven't seen a whole lot of him, those few moments when we have seen him, we're just like, this is great. He's here. He's with us. This is, this is, as a father and as a husband, I want to be with my family. And I'm thankful for every moment we get. But did you read what Jesus says and what Jesus prays? To his father, he says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. He's, he's praying for you and me. And he's saying, Lord, Father, I, I want to be with them. He wants to be with you. He's talking about Revelation chapter 7 when we were with him and we're praising him. Yes, he's with us now, but he's, he's speaking of the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. There's a picture of the context of the beginning of John chapter 17 is he's looking forward to being with his father, but for some reason he's looking forward to being with us. If that doesn't rock your brain and shake your heart, I don't know what will. This is the God who created the heavens and the universe. This is the God that we rebelled against. This is the God we said we know how to do things better than you. This is the God who, who laid down his life for us. But this is God, the God who says, I want to hang out with those rebellious but saved sinners for eternity. The psalmist put it this way, he, he, he delights in us. I, 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 don't, I, I, I still don't comprehend why, but he just does. And Jesus' reasoning for this, look at why he wants to be with us. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me before you loved me before the foundation of the world. He says, I want them to be with me so that they can see my glory. Now that sounds kind of like so he can show off.
2 Corinthians chapter 3 helps me understand this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. The Apostle Paul writing writes this, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory into another. For this comes from the Lord who is a spirit. He's talking about present tense. And as we, are, as we are getting to know our Lord, as we are peering at Jesus through the pages and the words that have been handed down to us by the eyewitnesses, as we are getting to know our Lord, we're looking at Him, what's happening to us? We're growing and becoming like Him. Why does He want to be with us for eternity? 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Why? Because we shall see Him as He is. It's when we stare into the face, into the the unveiled glory of our Jesus, that we will be like him, and as Revelation 7 says, no more tears. And I'm like, what can be better than that? There is nothing in this world that is so compelling as that. Nothing. Nothing. Not a thing. John 17, verses 20 to 26, Jesus prays for us. And it's not just a little prayer. Lord, may they have a happy life. Like this is a prayer that's of eternal significance. And I think he teaches us to pray, oh, Lord, would you help us? Would you unite us? And oh, Lord... Come quickly because I want to be with you. Come quickly. And isn't how the, that's the way the book ends? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for preserving this prayer for us. I thank you that your son not only willingly went to the cross for us, but prayed on our behalf. And we know when he prays according to your will, it's going to be answered. He prays for unity, and Lord, I pray that you would unite us locally, but Lord, even globally. Would all true, genuine believers be united around you and around your truth? Would we, would we be united in love? But Lord, thank you that you delight in us to, this, to such an extent that you desire for us to be with you so that we might see your glory so that we would be changed and transformed, know your love and be changed by your love. Lord, there's far more in this text that we haven't even begun to unpack. But Lord, as we walk away from here, may we chew on these things. Would you change us because of what you've recorded and what we've heard May we hunger for you even more. I ask these things, Lord, not so much for our sake, but for your glory. Because of your son, Jesus. Amen.
with those thoughts in mind, we want to sing, but we also want to gather around the table. And Tobias, would you be willing to come help me? Yeah, thank you. Um, we want to just pause and remember what Christ has done. And um, if you are a Christian, if you are one who has placed your faith and your trust in this Jesus, if you know him as your Lord, you're welcome to join us around the table. If not, that's okay. Stay where you're at. That's, that's fine. But come and remember him. The table's open to all who are believers of him. See us?